welcome to another episode of Talks from St. Peter's, a podcast bringing you live recordings of talks from our services at St. Peter's Church in Derby, a community of faith, hope and love in the heart of the city. So we're in this series looking at this passage and um, here's a series that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. It was a prayer that I think he prayed many times because he wrote it down and made sure the church had it and I've prayed this morning and evening every day. And if you were with us last week, you'll know that I invited you to do the same. I wonder whether we can uh, join together. So wherever you are in your room, uh, in your home, John will put the scripture with us for us on the screen now. Is everything okay, John? Okay, great. So wherever you are, let's say this together. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, let to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This prayer means very simply, God is able. In all the situations and struggles you face, where you believe there's just no hope and no way to figure out a way forward. The good news that Paul is exhorting us to believe is that God is able. This prayer is more than just a reminder that God is able. Paul is also challenging the church to a certain way of life. He puts it this way in verse 21. To him be glory in the church. What does this mean? Is it about many people gathering together for worship? Is it about giving God more credit? When Moses was leading the Israelites through the wilderness to the promised land, he found himself worn down, frustrated and uncertain about how to keep going. He said this to God, and we had this in our reading earlier. Show me your glory. God's response was, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. God's glory is his goodness. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So when you see a night sky and you peer into the depths of the universe, you can't help but say, wow, whoever did this is amazing. To glorify God in our lives means our lives should evoke a similar response from others. So they think that whoever did what is happening in your life is amazing. So the writer Dallas Willard writes this. To glorify God means to think and act in such a way that the goodness, greatness and beauty of God are constantly obvious to ourselves and all those around us. It means to live in such a way that when people see us, they think, thank God for God, if God would create such a life. 
glory in the church is evident when the Christian community so demonstrates God's goodness that people declare, thank God for God that he would create such a place. But as we all know, when you're part of church, you're quickly and keenly aware of how messy, broken, and inglorious we can be. True? I think that's something we all know. Paul knew this all too well. The churches he was encouraging were, in many places, a mess. Christians were incorporating pagan rituals into worship and ignoring the needs of the poor. Sure, the heavens declare the glory of God, a beautiful ocean scene or mountain vista will certainly declare the glory of God. But a church with people like you and a vicar like me? Really? So what can we do to ensure God's glory is evident in great measure at St. Peter's in the city? Well, in the New Testament, we read of some core commitments the church has to hold on to if there will be God's glory. I'm going to mention a few of them to you. Here they are. Firstly, gospel. The most fundamental commitment of any church, the reason the church exists, is our commitment to the gospel, the good news that God so loved our world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And when Jesus says, whoever believes, what he is saying is that everyone needs Jesus, regardless of belief and background, wealth and education. The reason we're here, the reason we believe God has called us to be his church is this. People need Jesus. But we can quickly lose sight of this, can't we? We can get distracted by all sorts of other issues. Paul saw this at the church in Galatia where he wrote, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Every church is at risk of being distracted and sidetracked focusing on stuff that's peripheral to our primary task of helping people to find and follow our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. The greatest risk, I would say, for any church is not our culture, our context, or our circumstances, but that we can lose focus on our core commitment to the gospel. So friends, let's not forget why we're here. And our, of our commitment to be a church where any person of any background and any belief system can learn about Jesus. All are welcome, because everyone needs Jesus. And then secondly, neighbours. Every church exists for its neighbours. Paul always begins his letters with a reference to a city or location, and so Ephesians is his letter to the church in Ephesus. And the church was there to reach and bless the city of Ephesus. So location is one key factor in defining mission. So what about for you, in the home where you're sitting in now? God puts you there, on a street, not just because it was safe, or near a school, or convenient to shops, or affordable. You are where you live because God has called you to live there. It's not an accident. And you're there not just for your own sake, but also for the sake of your neighbours. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbours. All the commandments are summed up in that. So when I think about St. Peter's in the city, 
ICR Church as located in lots of different places. Yes, in the city centre, but also in all the places we live. This is where God has strategically positioned our congregation. This is the church. These are our mission fields where we are called to reach out, to care, to declare to our neighbours. And we do this because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And the outcome of this, as far as Paul is concerned, is his prayer in this passage, verses 17 to 19, that being rooted and established in love, we may have power to grasp. I love this next bit. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And then thirdly, courage. This is the third commitment that's called to glory in the church. Paul's prayer that God could do immeasurably more was written to the Ephesians where Paul spent over three years, more than almost any other place. He was there for a reason. It wasn't because it was easy. He wrote to the church in Corinth, I'll stay on at Ephesus because a great door for effective workers opened for me. And hear this bit next. There are many who oppose me. Being in Ephesus was going to be risky. Ministry will take courage. There will be struggle. But Paul decided the opportunity to change lives was worth any risk. So what do you think about that? Is the opportunity to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ worth any risk? Looking back at the legacy of the early church, the first three centuries were defined by bold, risk-taking faith that led to extraordinary exponential growth. One historian wrote this. Unlike members of other clubs and societies that collected dues and fees to pay for feasts, members of the Christian family contributed money voluntarily to a common fund to support orphans abandoned in the streets. Christians brought food, medicine and companionship to prisoners forced to work in mines, banished to prison islands or held in jail. Some Christians even bought coffins and dug graves to bury the poor and the criminals whose corpses otherwise would lie unburied beyond the city walls. Such generosity, which ordinarily could be expected only from one's own family, attracted crowds of newcomers to, group, to Christian groups, despite the risks. So what about those last three words, eh? Despite the risks. This is core to what God can do in and through a church. They kept going, serving, giving, sacrifice. Seeing the church exploded, growing 40% a year for the first 300 years in the face of persecution, disease and death. It wasn't due to budgets or buildings, but ordinary people taking extraordinary risks. And one of the reasons I love St. Peter's is that we want to be a courageous church. In the last decade, when we have seen an open door for mission, we have had the courage to take a risk. There are many examples I could mention, and some have worked well, and others have not worked well. But nevertheless, we believe God blesses bold steps of faith. And I wonder whether today you need courage. Do you need courage for what you're facing? 
Did you know the most common command in the Bible is fear not? Maybe you need those words to, to go deep into your soul today. Brother, sister, fear not. Jesus had to remind his disciples of this day after day, for they were not called to find a place that would protect them from danger, but to go forward with courage, even into danger. And then fourthly, reconciliation. Glory in the church is not about the absence of conflict, but rather how we handle it. Let's be honest, we'll never get on with everyone all the time. Paul and Barnabas, two leaders in the early church, traveled and worked together, planting some of the first churches in Greece and Asia Minor. And along the way, they ran into a disagreement. And this is what we read in Acts 15. Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him as he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of God. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Did they disagree? Yes. Was it a serious disagreement? Yes. What happened next? They didn't gossip about one another. They didn't belittle each other. They didn't write letters against each other. They weren't critical in any kind of way. There will always be conflict. There are always going to be differences. There is diversity and different approaches to life and ministry. It's how we handle conflict that leads to glory in the church. And what I like about this story is that it shows us the outcome was not less ministry, but more. Barnabas was a great mentor and encourager, and he took Mark under his wing. It's exactly what Barnabas was called to do. Meanwhile, Paul, the great apostle and church planter, went on to strengthen the churches he'd planted. Yes, there was disagreement, but because of how it was handled, God did even more. And for our church, as I leave in a few weeks' time, my prayer is for unity even where there is diversity. Because at the end of the day, what we want is more ministry, not less. More generosity, not less. More justice, not less. More compassion, not less. And more reconciliation, not less. And then there's fruitfulness. One day when Jesus was looking at a crowd of people, he told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus is saying there's nothing wrong with the harvest. The kingdom of God is doing great. God is prepared to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine right here in Derby. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. Fruitfulness is so important. How might this be a challenge for you? Maybe it's to do with, for you at this time, endurance. There was a young boy who found church services really boring. They just went on and on and on and on 
And one day he said to his mom, halfway through what felt like the longest service ever, Mom, is it still Sunday? Maybe for you it's endurance. Maybe for you it's something to do with faith. A three-year-old learned the alphabet and was very proud of herself. As she got into bed, her mum said, it was time to say her prayers. The little girl prayed, saying every little, saying every letter in the alphabet. That's all she said, A to Z. And then she said, now God, turn all that into prayer. Maybe it's to do with faith for you. Or maybe it's something to do with patience. Maybe here's an area you, area you need more fruitfulness. A father was in a grocery store uh, with a fussy, cranky, whiny three-year-old boy. And this boy would just not stop crying. The father goes round, quietly whispering, It's okay, Billy. We'll be done soon, Billy. You're going to be all right, Billy. A woman hears him and says, You're so patient with your son, Billy. And he says, No, no, no. My son's name is Justin. I'm Billy. Maybe it's to do with patience. Are we being fruitful? Seeing people come to faith? Finding community? Learning more about Jesus? Experiencing God's compassion and redemption? Justice and grace? Are we encouraging one another in our faith? Is our character displaying the fruit of the Spirit? Are we responding to the needs of others in loving service? Are we doing what we can to support those working to transform unjust structures in our society? To many of these questions, I know the answer is yes, because I know there's so much fruitfulness in the life of St. Peter's. And why is all this important? Because there's nothing wrong with the harvest. Jesus makes it clear the problem is not the harvest, but too few workers in the St. Peter's community is everyone willing to give what it takes to practice and live out and commit and sacrifice every day for the harvest. And then lastly, friends, surrender. This is the last core commitment required to see glory in the church. Jesus told Peter, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, the church is not going to fail, but life, well, it will be costly. Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself and follow me. These words are for each one of us as individuals. The Christian journey starts and continues with surrender. Everything to God, our families, our marriages, our vocation, our careers, our retirement, our families, because God desires a church that is surrendered his will. Surrender is the way to glory. We know this because of Jesus who on the last night with his disciples said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son. And then he went to the cross and gave his life for you and me. What a strange way to show glory unless surrender is the road to glory. So what can we do to ensure God's glory is evident in great measure at St. Peter's? Well, here's the final slide showing the six core commitments the church has to hold on to if there will be God's glory. Gospel. Neighbor. 
courage, reconciliation, fruitfulness, and surrender. Brothers and sisters, I hope you'll embrace this challenge and practice these core commitments. Glory in the church is not just an obligation because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a promise. There is going to be glory in the church. There's going to be glory in your life. God can take and hold fast to whatever you're facing, whatever your circumstances, wherever you're at, whatever the situation, whatever the struggle. God will take hold of this securely. There will be glory in the church. Let's pray together. We know that Jesus is committed and faithful to every one of us so that our lives will display God's redemption and transformation. When people see this in our surrendered and committed lives, they will look and thank God. And maybe some will worship him because of what they have seen. And so, Jesus, we come to you. Thank you that you're so committed to us, that you have promised there will be glory, even in this church and even in our lives. You have made this promise, there's going to be glory. So Jesus, we pray now that we would hold fast to these commitments, to stay true to the gospel, to be committed to our neighbours, to live with courageous faith, to practice reconciliation with humility, to seek abundant fruitfulness in every aspect of our lives, and to willingly surrender to you every day. May they be glory, even in the church and in our lives, as we know there is in you, Lord. And in your mighty name we pray. Amen. St. Peter's is a diverse community of faith, hope and love in the heart of the city. If you'd like to know more, you can find us online at stpetersderby.org.uk Thank you for listening to this episode of Talks from St. Peter's and we hope you will join us again for our next talk in about a week's time.